0: This week on Physically Spiritual, I continue the series on food by exploring digestion and diet. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. We'll work we're coming up to the end of the series on food. We've made our way up the ladder of being, starting with uh, what is food, talking about soil, plants, animals, and the last episode in this series was on uh, satiety and hunger. And now we're, we're coming up to now what the f- happens to the food once it gets inside of us. Then finally, looking at the question, how should we eat? So we're now at the point of digestion and diet. The final episode of the series will be on the Eucharist, that God gives himself to us as food, and then we'll end the series with an Ask Me Anything episode. So as you've been listening through, if anything's caught your interest, any curiosity, anything you want to expand it on, just leave a question in any comments of the video, or you can send it to me at becominggift at gmail.com, and we'll address your questions in the AMA episode. So let's begin with just what happens at the very beginning of digestion. We don't often think of it, but the body actually starts digesting our food even before we eat it. Even the anticipation of food will lead to your body starting to release saliva in your mouth and also insulin in your blood. And this is your body anticipating the food coming into it, preparing to receive the food into your body. Then putting it in your mouth, it's the process of chewing it, breaking it apart. I mean, this serves the, the practical side of just simply getting it down your throat without choking on it. But this breaking apart of your food is the beginning of the digestive process. You're, you're introducing saliva into it. And there's also various enzymes that are being introduced into the food as you're chewing it up. It makes its way down your esophagus and then into your stomach. I think we, um, we can misunderstand what's happening in the stomach versus what's happening in the, in the intestines. I know growing up, I don't know if it came from my science classes or what, I always assumed that my food was sort of primarily digested in my stomach, and I thought what that meant was like absorbing of nutrients, and actually the stomach is more involved in in breaking the food down and preparing for it to be absorbed than it is actually absorbing the nutrients. Really, the, the intestines are the place where the nutrient absorption primarily happens. So we have to recognize that the different things we eat go through different processes in the body as they're being digested. So we we talked about these macronutrients when we started talking about food, and I want to revisit these, of carbohydrates, fats, and protein. So carbohydrates, there's really two different things that come out of our carbs. The first thing that comes out of carbohydrates is protein or no, the first thing, I apologize, that comes out of the carbohydrates primarily is fiber. Fiber is actually something the body doesn't really digest. When we take fiber in, it it does serve a couple important effects in the body. One, it, it makes you feel full. It has a satiety effect. So there's a connection between consuming sufficient fiber and eating less calories. But fiber actually also feeds the microorganisms that are throughout your guts. So your whole digestive tract is populated with uh, your what's called your your gut microbiome. It's a whole colony of, of little creatures. And I did a whole episode on the microbiome in the uh, first season of Physically Spiritual, and I'll link that down in the show notes. So some of this fiber is actually consumed by these microorganisms, and then they create sometimes very helpful byproducts. Uh, and then the final effect of fiber is just simply to sort of push things through the system. We call this gut motility. So, sometimes people conceptualize this as the fiber kind of like scraping out the intestines, cleaning you out. People use fiber as a uh, as a laxative or something to kind of get their system moving. But fiber is an, an important part of the human diet, even though it's not essential in the most technical sense of the term. You can survive without it. The second thing that that carbs prov- that carbs provide us is glucose. Glucose is simply energy. There's a a beautiful balance between the energy cycle that happens in animals and the energy cycle that happens in plants. And I addressed this in the episode on plants um, in the beginning of the series too, and I'll link that in the show notes. In humans, this cycle is called the Krebs cycle. And in animals, it's called the Kelvin cycle. So the byproduct of the Kelvin cycle is actually oxygen. The plant pulls in, in sunlight from the, from the air, from the sun, pulls up water from the ground, and then pulls in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, creates energy with that through the process of photosynthesis, and then it exports or, or excretes oxygen back into the atmosphere. On the other hand, we as humans, we use glucose from our food plus oxygen from the air, and then we exhaust carbon dioxide, water in our urine, and then finally energy as the form of of ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And this adenosine triphosphate, what's happening is there's a a chemical shift from adenosine diphosphate to triphosphate, and it's the, the breaking apart of those chemical bonds between the carbon molecules and the ATP and ADP, and this is what's we're, we're literally using to make energy as humans. So you see, in the cycle that the plant's going through and the cycle that the animal's going through, there's uh, there's a beautiful balance. What What they're putting off as a waste byproduct, we're using, then what we're putting off as a waste byproduct, they're using. So now let's look at the next macronutrient, that's fats. So what's our body using with this fat that we eat? It's primarily using it to make cell membranes. And then the fats we eat are also important processes in generating the hormones that our body needs. And then finally, our body can use fat to make ketone bodies. And these ketone bodies can also be used for energy in our body. One important thing to think about with fats are that fats are hydrophobic. This is just a fancy way of saying that fats don't mix with water well. And you know this if you've ever... Uh, maybe poured some cooking oil in a cup of water, or maybe you've tried to make, um, make bulletproof coffee where you mix some kind of fat in your coffee. And you know if you don't, if you don't mix it up really well and form what's called an emulsion, an emulsion is simply a process of breaking down the fat particles so small that they're, they're sort of invisible to the human eye and it seems to be mixed and frothed into the liquid. Um, you'll notice that the, the fat separates from the rest of the liquid. So in order for our, our body to use fats, they need to be transported through our blood. And our, and our blood is, it's a liquid, it's a water-based substance. And we do this through, through the lipids in our blood. So it's a common experience for people to go to their doctor and their doctor wants to test their blood lipids. And from this panel, you might get uh, an LDLC number and an LDLP number depending on what test you're getting. The C is LDL cholesterol, and the P is LDL particles. And what's happening is there's, uh, this is a, a beautiful system where there's a particle that's hydrophilic, meaning it literally loves the water, it connects with the water, it can move easily through the water, to a particle that's hydrophobic. So we have these particles that can transport through the blood, almost like a boat, holding particles that that would separate from, from the water, and then the body's able to then transport these around the body where we need them. Like I said, to to form and be used as cell membranes, to be used in the production of hormones, and then also to be used in energy. The final macronutrient we need to talk about is protein. Protein's primarily used for the formation of muscle and other tissue, like tendons and ligaments, uh, and skin, things of that nature. But it can also be used as energy. Now, the, the process of using protein for energy is very inefficient, and the body typically prefers not to do this, but it can do this if absolutely necessary. And then finally, protein can also be deaminated and then excreted in urine. So the body can get rid of extra protein, even though it might be some scientists think this is sort of hard on our organs to go through this process of excreting extra protein. The um the destination of a of excessive carbohydrates or excessive fats are in our own fat storage. So our body has an an amazing, efficient way of storing excess energy, and that's in fat. Uh, Now, we don't often think of it as a positive thing, but it really is positive for our survival. One, because if we have too much uh, energy substrate in our blood, especially glucose, it's very dangerous for our body, and we can die very quickly from excess glucose. So the fact that our body has the ability to to move this glucose uh, into fat in a fairly a fairly efficient manner really enables us to survive. Without that, we we would probably die because we would eat too much and kill ourselves. Uh, but then this this fat, which is which is a lipid, so it's hydrophobic. It's stored without water, and, and typically, like with our muscles and other fibers in our body, they're they're hydrophobic hydrophilic. They love the water. So it's, so it's stored with water. It's like a, a lot of our muscle tissue is actually water. And then the, we have a, a small amount of energy stored in our muscles and other parts of our bodies called glycogen. And this glycogen is also stored with water. Now the downfall of this wallet, it makes the energy very easily accessed. It also carries a lot of excess weight with it. And when you begin a diet and lose what people call the quote-unquote water weight, you're often burning through some of this muscle and liver glycogen that's being stored with water. So it results in the excretion of that water or the utilization of it in another part of your body. But this fat is stored throughout our body without that excess water, without that water weight. So it's, it's a highly efficient store of energy, more efficient than any battery that we as humans can create on our own. Uh, so it's a, a real beautiful system for our survival, for the um, for the storage of excess energy in order for us not to die if we don't have enough food, um, and also to avoid the acute issue of, of high blood sugar in a very efficient way. Let's shift gears and now talk about eating from a theological perspective. If you look at the tradition, the tradition doesn't say a ton about what we should eat. Now, we, we've talked in previous episodes about the Jewish dietary laws and the way that, that the early Christians came to understand the way that Jesus made all foods clean. I mean, the scripture literally says that uh, when he's reflecting on, on this in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and then throughout the tradition, um, there's been an acceptance of all food except that sacrificed to idols and then killed in an unethical way. The, the Acts of the Apostles mentioned strangulation. But the way the tradition has often handled this is by talking about the virtue of temperance and then the sub, the category of temperance in relation to food, which would be against a vice called gluttony. To talk about gluttony, I want to bring in here St. Thomas Aquinas and the, the Secunda Secunda of the Summa Theologiae, so the second part of the second part of his Summary of Theology in question 148. Thomas handles this question of gluttony. And when he does this, he does it in two, uh, I think, particularly helpful ways. On the one hand, he talks about the different species of gluttony. Then he also talks about the daughters of gluttony. And I want to go through these to put some more flesh on the bones. So so gluttony is simply inordinate eating. So it's giving into the passions, your concupiscible passions, for food in a way that's disordered, that's beyond what's needed, that's beyond God's design. So when talking about the species of gluttony, St. Thomas says, now two things are to be considered in eating, namely the food we eat and the eating thereof. He says, accordingly, the, the inordinate concupiscence may be considered in two ways. First, with regards to the food consumed, and thus as regards to the substance or species of food as man seeks, sumptuous or costly food. As regards its quality, he seeks food prepared too nicely, or daintily. And as regards to quantity, he exceeds by eating too much. So there's, there's three different uh, species that he's laying out here. We might be committing the sin of gluttony or the vice of gluttony by demanding food that's too costly or too sumptuous. We might also uh, demand it to be uh, prepared in too quality of a way, So prepared too nice, and that's food being too daintily consumed. And then finally, by quantity, and this is what what we probably typically think of as gluttony, as eating too much, exceeding the right amount of food. And then finally, at the end, he says, secondly, the inordinate concupiscence is considered as the consumption of food, either because one forestalls the proper time for eating, which is to eat hastily, or one fails to observe the due manner of eating by eating greedily. So the, 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 the second way is when you're eating your food too fast or you're eating your food really without due manners, which is to eat it greedily. So he breaks gluttony into five different species. Sumptuousness, you're, you're demanding too expensive of food, too fine of food. Daintiness, you're you're demanding the food be prepared too nicely. Or by quantity, you're eating too much. By hastiness, you're eating too quickly. And then finally, by greediness, you're eating your food without manners, without justice to other people. Uh, So so in these five species, hopefully this helps illustrate what, um, what goes into the sin of gluttony. And then maybe reflecting on your life I know for me, I often think of gluttony as just eating too much and not all these different, uh, these different facets of it. There's also a lot of practical wisdom to this. There's a lot of uh, just God's design in what St. Thomas Aquinas is saying here. Let's take, for example, the idea of eating too hastily. If we eat too quickly, we can actually uh, circumvent the different hormones and signaling in our body that, that give us an idea of satiety. So if we eat a lot of something that's very flavorful, the body will downregulate the pleasure you get from that food over time. Now, if you scarf it down really quick in a few bites, you're going to get it all in your body before that feedback loop can happen in your body. If we take our time and eat slowly, we'll begin to notice uh, these signals coming up from our body uh, through our hormones into our, our conscious awareness and in our body will we'll start to communicate to us how much we should eat or what we should eat. But if we eat too quickly, we're, we're going to haywire this whole system. So there's a lot of uh, natural wisdom in the precepts that Thomas is giving us here too. Now let's look at the second category that he talks about. He talks about daughters of gluttony. And these, these daughters of a vice are sort of what follows from it, what other sins it leads us into. So St. Thomas says, Gluttony consists properly in an inordinate pleasure in eating and drinking. Wherefore, those vices are reckoned among the daughters of gluttony, which are the results of eating and drinking immoderately. And I'm going to skip some parts of the text. He gives scripture quotes for each one, and there's different connectors, but I'm just going to go through them, one, two, three, four. He says, first, as regards to reason, whose keenness is dulled by immoderate meat and drink, and in this respect, we reckon as a daughter of gluttony, dullness of sense in the understanding, on account of the fumes of food disturbing the brain. <laughs> now, obviously, we have a, a different understanding of, of biology and, and chemistry than he had. So, the idea of fumes from the, the food disturbing the brain, uh, we we wouldn't understand the mechanism that way. <laughs> uh, but this this observation that by overeating, over drinking, especially alcohol, but I would say any food especially strong foods, he, he points out here, meat, it has an, an effect on our consciousness. Maybe try to remember a time that you were at a conference or, or maybe you had an afternoon class in school. Well, if you ate too much for lunch, what happens? You have a hard time thinking. You have a hard time paying attention. You might start to fall asleep and nod off. And one of the, the dangers to us as moral people of having a dull mind is that our will is our, is our rational appetite. So, if our reason is dulled, then we're actually less able to exercise our will, and then more at the whim of our sense appetites, at the whims of our passions. So it's never a good thing uh, to to too far or too much dull our reason. All right, secondly, secondly, he says, as regards to the appetite, which is disordered in many ways by immoderate immoderation in, in eating and drinking, as though reason, We're fast asleep at the helm. And in this respect, unseemly joy is reckoned because the other inordinate passions are directed to joy or sorrow. So what he's saying here, now there's a cascade. The reason's asleep at the wheel, where he says asleep at the helm. And so now there's an unseemly joy. So your passions are directed toward joy, toward pleasure. And now that reason's not at the helm, they can go hog wild. So there's now an, an immoderation that happens as a result of your gluttony. So, so overeating a little bit leads to overeating more. All right, now he says, thirdly, thirdly, as regards to inordinate words, and thus we have loquaciousness. So the sin of loquaciousness is speaking immoderately, right? Just, it could be um, excessive speech, to the point where we're not letting other people talk. It could be um, maybe sharing something that we're really interested and passionate about and the other people don't care about, so you're wasting other people's time <laughs> not being in touch with what they want to talk about. It could also just be uh, superfluous words, right? just saying things that don't need to be said. Then finally, there's there's other sins that are dangerous here too, sins like uh, detraction or, or calumny or gossip, where we, we start to talk about other people's problems when it's not really a forum, when it's helpful to do that. Okay, the fourth daughter, St. Thomas says, fourthly, as regards to inordinate action, and in this way we have scurrility, a kind of levity resulting from lack of reason, which is unable not only to bridle the speech, but also to restrain outward behavior. So finally, it shows up in our action. By eating too much, we end up um, we end up acting without reason. We're unable to bridle our speech, but also to restrain our outward behavior. Our tradition has always um, actually recognized a connection between the sin of gluttony and the sin of lust. And the the pleasure center of the brain, where we process sexual pleasure and pleasure from food, is very closely related. So this is also written into our biology too. So our our tradition has often recognized a connection between the the inability to regulate our consumption of food and also then our inability to regulate our sexual passions too. And this is one of the outcomes here of this scurrility that happens. So overeating food dampens our mind, which leads to our our passions taking control. That then uh, leads us to not being able to control our tongue and our speech and not being able to control our actions and what we're doing. So these are the daughters of gluttony. Now I want to uh, shift to actually talk about what we should eat. Like, what should we think about with our diet? We have to recognize that the the situation we're facing with our food today is different than what any of the saints of our tradition ever had to face. So in the 13th century, when St. Thomas Aquinas was writing, there were certain limits on his diet. There was only certain food available. They didn't have things like refrigeration like we do, ways of preserving food, an international system of of exporting and importing food, supermarkets, and and really a a way that we've brought the price of food down to a point where we have very few limits on the quantity that we have. We're also facing in our modern environment foods designed by science. These designer foods, uh, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, are meant to hit the bliss point in our brain. And by hitting this bliss point, it really starts to circumvent our reason and our, and our natural um, our natural systems and capacities that control what we eat and how much we eat. These designer foods also send mixed signals to the body, meaning it, it's hitting our tongue in a certain way, that's communicating a flavor to the body, but then the nutrients that come with it don't match the flavor profile. So there might be something like added to your potato chips, <laughs> like an umami flavor, that would communicate to your body that it's getting a good amount of protein, that it's getting meat. But on the other hand, your body's not getting any meat out of that. There's hardly any protein in potatoes. So there's sort of a confusing messaging happening between our tongue and our digestive tract, and then back to our brain. So all of this puts us in a situation today that uh, that St. Thomas Aquinas didn't imagine when he was creating these rules. So although there's a lot of wisdom I think we also have to give more attention to not just how much we eat and how we eat it, but also to what we eat today, where our ancestors would have had many more boundaries on what they ate by simply their environment, what was available to them, and, and, and a lot of this coming from nature and having more simple processing. With all this said, I have to give you the normal caveat of before making a change to your diet, especially if you're on any medications or have any diagnoses, to consult with your doctor. Um, so don't take this as medical advice. These are just general principles based on, on science and reason uh, that we can use to understand our body. All right, so I'm going to give you seven rules for eating here. The first rule I'll give you is to eat for your context. Eat for your context. If you're a child, it's different than being a young adult. It's different than being somebody who's elderly. And one of the things to consider of your context is that as you grow older, protein muscle synthesis becomes less efficient, meaning your your body's ability to utilize the protein that you consume and actually make muscle and other tissue out of it, the efficiency of that decreases. So this means as you get older, your protein need actually increases in order for you to maintain the lean tissue in your body. Another example for this might be whether you've been thin your whole life and have struggled to gain weight, or maybe you're overweight and have struggled to keep it off. This context is going to change the way that you should eat. A big part of my story in losing weight was eating a very low-carbohydrate diet. And this was advantageous for me because I had out-of-control blood sugar. I was pre-diabetic or probably even... Maybe actually diabetic for a while, even though it went undiagnosed. So as a result of this, I'd I'd gained a lot of weight as my body was uh, becoming more insulin resistant, and then all this extra calorie that I was eating was then being stored away as body fat. So for me, a very low carbohydrate hydrate diet was very very advantageous because it, it 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 reversed this whole process, and my body was able to then uh, correct itself, especially with. Uh, satiety signaling, and so my the the amount that I ate kind of spontaneously reduced as a result of taking cal- taking carbohydrates out of the diet. So you have to eat for your context, including mental health. You know, if you're if you're nursing, obviously, if you've struggled with an eating disorder in the past, like all these things need to be taken into account. All right, the second rule I'll give you is to limit ultra processed foods. What I mean here by ultra processed isn't just typical processing of grinding and cooking and seasoning. But an ultra-processed food, as I mentioned before, is, is designed to hit this bliss point in your body. The easiest way to do this is simply to avoid foods that have ingredient lists. Anything that has an ingredient list means that, that, that the USD has identified this as something that, that the, the company needs to provide additional information to you for you to identify what's in the food. <laughs> So on your, your standard, just foods from nature, like vegetables, fruits, meats, et cetera, you might notice there's no food labels on those. Well, the idea is that, you know, you, you kind of know what it is just based on looking at it. Well, these processed foods, you don't know what it is by looking at it and your body won't really know what it is either by tasting it. Uh, so there's the, the perennial advice of just shopping on the outskirts of the, um, of the grocery store. Now, my grocery store on the far end of the outskirts has all the ice cream. You know, so there has to be a caveat there too. But as much as possible, uh, limiting your exposure to ultra-processed foods is going to be helpful for maintaining a healthy weight and and uh, really coming into touch with more of a, a natural digestion process in your body. The third rule I'll give you is to eat sufficient protein. I mentioned before how this muscle protein synthesis declines in old age. And so to to, end, to help avoid especially osteoporosis and osteopenia, meaning that the degradation of your bones and your muscles as you get into an older age, it's really important to eat sufficient protein. I actually try to eat one gram of protein for every pound of lean body mass in my body. So this is like 150 to 160 grams of, of protein a day, which is a lot. It's a lot more than our dietary guidelines. And understand the dietary guidelines are designed in order to prevent um, Malnutrition in the population, so the dietary guidelines are giving you kind of the baseline, the minimum amount to shoot for. But this doesn't mean that what the dietary guidelines are putting out are what's best for optimal health. Now, if you if you look at the research of different scientists, they're going to give you actually different numbers on what the optimal amount of protein is, and I'm not going to wade into that um into that debate. Um, I'll just tell you what I do. And just know that eating sufficient protein is going to be very helpful for your long-term health. And protein also has a massive effect on satiety. So if you want to eat less, if you eat more fiber and more protein, these are going to send signaling throughout your body that you don't need to eat more, that you're fine. Rule number four, limit sugar. And I would put the, the sub to this is don't drink sugar. And every natural form where we encounter carbohydrates, sugar always comes with fiber, and there's there's even protein in a lot of plants like corn. So so in their natural form, as you're encountering carbohydrates, you're also getting fiber and and protein, and you're getting other other uh, things with it. So this is an, important for the digestion of that sugar, that it's it's sort of blunting the effect on your blood sugar, but especially. Uh, with the sugar called fructose, it's especially important because fructose doesn't enter into your blood sugar. So a lot of people will hail this as a positive benefit in that fructose isn't gonna increase your blood sugar if you struggle with diabetes or, or prediabetes or something like that. But the downfall of this is since it doesn't enter in, into your into blood sugar in the same way that, uh, that other forms of sugar do, um, that it has to be primarily processed in your liver. So as a result of this, if you're eating too much fructose too quickly, your your liver can't handle it, and it it leads to actually fatty liver, a a disease that's identified as NAFLD, or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And this has actually surpassed uh, alcoholic fatty liver disease as a cause for needing liver replacement. You know, so there's there's little children who are are drinking a ton of fructose and it ends up damaging their liver even at a very young age. So, so typically, as you're eating a piece of fruit, there's a very specific amount of fructose in it. And because so much other stuff is coming with it, it ends up blunting the effect. And so your liver can handle a piece of fruit typically without a problem uh, because of these other circumstances. But if you're drinking it, it's coming into your body more quickly and hitting your digestive tract uh, more rapidly. And as a result of that, it all hits your liver at the same time very quickly, and your body has to do something with it. So you really want to limit the sugar that you're drinking. But in general, limiting added sugar is a very good idea. Actually, just recently here in the United States, uh, companies have had to start to identify not just sugar on the food label, but also added sugar on the food label. So that's a cue that, that you know that the government's getting on board with this idea that this added sugar isn't, isn't good for us. Okay, rule number five, eat what you enjoy and enjoy what you eat. Here's the reality. If you don't like something, you're probably not going to eat it. Eating is one of the most hedonic things we do. It's all involved with, with pleasure and signaling from the body for, for pleasure. So you're only going to be able to go so long on just pure willpower, eating things that you don't really enjoy. We have to eat things that we enjoy and enjoy the things that we eat. And a lot of this is coming from our memory, our past experience, our family system, our culture. The very low-carb diet that I went on worked well for me. And one of the reasons for this was because I enjoyed eating meat. I enjoyed eating fat. So cutting out all the carbohydrates, cutting out sugar and a lot of sweetness actually wasn't a a very burdensome thing for me. I would rather have a second steak than a dessert any day of the week. When I started this diet and was able to eat, you know, eggs and meat for breakfast, and then I would have maybe a big salad at lunch with some meat and cheese on it, and then at dinner I'd have a a slab of meat and then some vegetables— it's really just kind of what I wanted to eat, so it worked. It worked wonderful for me for that reason. All right, rule number six is to eat for satiety. Eat things that are going to help you feel full. The main things that are going to help you feel full are protein, fiber, and then water. We can mistake in hunger for thirst and thirst for hunger. So making sure you're, you're taking in plenty of protein, fiber, and water. One of the tools that I use, and, and this is something I've added recently because. Uh, in my job and in the other work I do, I don't have the, the time I used to have to cook. And also now that my wife and I have, have our first child, my, my lifestyle has changed a lot. So I've had to start to try to eat more for convenience. So I will do a protein shake in the morning once I feel hungry. So I don't just eat it for breakfast at any time. I, I wait till I feel hungry and then I consume it. But in that shake, I'm getting between 25 and up to 50 grams of protein. And then in that, I'm adding chia seeds, flax, and also psyllium husk. And all of these are super high fiber foods. So I'm I'm typically adding about 20 grams of fiber to between 25 and 50 grams of protein in 16 ounces of water. Well, I take this down, and and some days I don't even want to eat lunch because I still feel so full from the shake that's just packed with, with fiber and protein, almost no carbohydrates. In uh, a ton of water with it too. So eat for satiety. And then finally, number seven, and this is maybe could be number one, the most important rule is eat with other people. Food's a social thing. So find ways to connect with others when you eat. If you work in an office environment, maybe don't eat in your office, eat with the other people in your office. Have meals together as a family. Uh, instead of going through the drive through and eating in your car, go in the restaurant. And maybe even if you don't even know anyone, just sitting there and being with other people has an effect on you. So find ways to connect with other people around food and to not eat by yourself. All right, I hope this episode has been helpful. As we took a look at the digestion process in the body, what the body does with the food we eat, we looked a little bit uh, in depth at the idea of, of gluttony, the vice of gluttony. And then finally, we uh, just got on some practical tips on how to eat in the midst of our modern food environment. So as we approach the final episode of this series on food and to look at the Eucharist, and then finally we want to end with an Ask Me Anything, I hope you'll stick with me. Uh, Give me any questions that this series has arisen in your mind and heart. So drop it in any comments on social media, uh, on the Physically Spiritual page, or on the posts on YouTube, or just send me an email to becominggift at gmail.com or in the Awaken app, and I'll answer all of your questions in the upcoming Ask Me Anything episode. God bless everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you've in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awaken Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.